On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to look at a passage that's often misused. We're going to look at Matthew 24 tonight, Jacob, and uh, we want to talk about Matthew 24 in conjunction with speculations that it's describing the end of the world. We think probably not, and that it's more, more to be understood as a description of things that would happen near term when Jesus spoke of those things, the destruction of Jerusalem specifically. All right. Are there things in Matthew 24 that tell us signs of, well, when we should be looking for Jesus to return and the end of the world. Get into that. The virtual Bible study starts right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study we're on the virtual bible study tonight for uh, january 18th 2018 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you as well kyle's behind the controls tonight kyle welcome to the program it's good to be here good, good to have you here tonight and uh well, we're glad that you're listening on the other end of the line, and we welcome your comments in the chat room tonight. Uh, sign in and chat with other listeners there, or we would welcome them on the phone. You can speak with us on the phone. The best way for your voice to be heard at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Give us a call tonight on that, or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Uh, Jacob, a little, little announcing to do before we get into our topic for tonight. Um, it's getting pretty late to get the, the Bible reading calendar. I did have a request here just this last week, uh, one more. Uh, but uh, we, we can get them out. If you still want a copy, you can get them on our, web, on our website at collegeview.com. On the homepage, there's a link to the daily Bible reading calendar. So, um, you know, by all means, we want to encourage people to be regularly reading their Bibles. Uh, so if you want a hard copy, send us an email. Uh, we'll send you a calendar. We'll send you a bumper sticker, too, if you can use that to help us advertise the program. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We also wanted to talk about the fact that not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday on the 27th, and then also on Sunday the 28th, Paul Smithson is going to be here <coughs> to bring some lessons for us. Paul preaches regularly in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Uh, does just really an excellent job presenting God's Word. He's going to bring some lessons that have... Special application to young people, right? to their parents, their families, but really to all of us. And we want to encourage everybody who's within driving distance of Middle Tennessee, Columbia in particular, uh, plan to come on Saturday the 27th and Sunday the 28th to hear five lessons in less than 20. We're going to put Paul to work in less than 24 hours. We're going to get five gospel sermons out of him. Boy. So we'll be putting him to work. Yeah. Um, I hope he's eating his vitamins. Yeah, and his topic is you can, and in the five lessons, you can be holy in a digital age, keep your sexual purity. All right, that's Saturday. That's Saturday. Those are the two lessons Saturday. Then Sunday at 9.30, bridle your tongue. You can bridle your tongue. At 10.30, you can have the proper influence. 
And at 2.30 in the afternoon, Sunday, that we always change our services on Sunday afternoon when we have a special effort. And so on Sunday the 28th, we'll meet at 2.30, and the last lesson will be You Can Save Others with the Gospel. All right. So we think those are really good lessons. will be very important for everybody to hear. It's not just for, you know, some congregations have just teen weekends. Uh, this is not just a teen weekend. We think these lessons are very applicable. We ask, we've asked Paul to gear them especially to be applicable to young people, but also to their parents and their families and everybody who's a Christian to be interested in these things that we'll be discussing. Well, even if they were just for the young people, the, the parents need to be here so they can hear the things that the young people are hearing and yeah. uh, and encourage them along those lines. But yeah. this is going to have stuff that's pertinent to all. Yeah, I think so, exactly. All right. So remember, that's not this Saturday. It's a week from Saturday. and So make your plans if you can to come. All right. On to the topic tonight. All right. Earlier to our update list today, we were a little late getting this out because we had some, uh, uh, there was a potential we were going to have an interview on the program tonight and it didn't work out. Uh, And so we were late getting this update out. But we want to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem, the things that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 24. And so we sent out these questions. If you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to your list. Question number one, the initial verses of Matthew 24, 1 through 3, are key to understanding the chapter. From these verses, what is Jesus about to describe in the context? Okay. We'll look at that real quickly. That won't take long. Number two, did the signs that Jesus proceeded to foretell actually happen? So as the chapter unfolds, he tells us about a number of things, signs, he says, that were going to take place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are trying to say they see that happening in the world today. Yeah, right. So what about those signs? Have they already taken place? Number three, verse 34 is another key verse in understanding Jesus' message. What would the signs that are listed, when would they take place? And there's something about the word generation there that we want to try to identify. And then number four, there seems to be a clear break in Jesus' explanation at verse 36. Uh, Do you agree? Do you see it? Explain how the verses that follow are different from the verses that precede verse 36. Okay. And so that's the way we're going to look at these uh, this chapter tonight. But let's start with that very first question, Jacob. The initial verses of Matthew 24 are key to understanding the chapter. He, Jesus tells us, or, or the context tells us, what's under consideration. So let's just read that. And we encourage everybody at home as you're listening, get your Bible out and read along with us, because we're going to be spending time in the text, Matthew 24 specifically. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? All right. Um, so here's where they are. They're in Jerusalem. They're at the temple. Now, this is not Solomon's temple because we know that Solomon's temple was torn down centuries before. Uh, this is the the temple that Herod the Great built. Uh and uh, it was a quite elaborate thing, and the Jews were very proud of it. And it was it was sort of the center of their of their universe. Uh, and and so uh, the disciples were short showing Jesus the temple grounds and the buildings of the temple, and 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 you almost certainly get the idea that they were quite pleased with 
the state of affairs there. This this was their heartland. This was the this was their main thing, the temple grounds. And Jesus predicts when they show him and speak to him about the temple and its buildings, he says, "Do you not, do you see all these things? I tell you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down." The very stones that constructed the temple and all the all the uh, appurtenances to it were going to be destroyed. Jesus. So what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about a time when the temple was going to be destroyed. Okay. So then in verse three, his disciples come and say, well, when's that going to happen? I really think in verse three, a lot of people interpret this way. Some do not. But I think verse three makes the best sense to suggest that the. The disciples believed they were asking one question. When shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? To the Jews who were so devoted to that temple and its grounds, it seemed like surely these things will stand until the end, until until uh, the end of the world. Surely the temple will stand. Uh, and so when when's the temple going to be destroyed? And we... They are assuming that also suggests when will the world end. And so Jesus has really two questions on his table, on his plate, and he's going to answer them. I think he's going to answer them in succession. Uh, and, and the chapter goes on to give his answer. All right. So um, if the temple were still standing today, just as we get into this, then we might think that that was referring to the end of the world. But we know the temple is not standing today. Yeah. Um, so that's a good point. So. If the temple was still standing, we could say, well, maybe the disciples were, were right. It's going to stand until the end of the world. But the temple is not standing. It was destroyed, and the world continues on. So those were the end of the world and the destruction of the temple are clearly two separate things. And so the signs that he said is going to give then aren't about the end of the world as we look here uh, at uh, as he begins telling about when these things are going to happen, that the temple is going to be destroyed. It's obviously not talking about the end of the world as we look into some of those questions now. Exactly right. So uh, I, I think that's key. The main emphasis here was they were at the temple. Jesus predicted the temple was going to be torn down. Okay. Um, we got a, a, an answer to our question from Kent in Georgia who says, Matthew 24 as well as Mark 13 and Luke 21 are parallel chapters. The material, cover, uh, the material covered sets forth information from the perspective of Christ and his apostles being in the city of Jerusalem. Christ amazed his followers in stating that the beautiful temple, in their view, would be destroyed. This shocked them and brought about two questions. When would those things take place? What would be the sign of his coming in the end of the world? These followers of Christ thought that the destruction of the temple would bring about the end of the world. In answering what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the world? Christ answered them that there would be no signs. And that's the last part of this chapter. We'll talk about that in a minute. The signs set forth in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 deal with the signs regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. Verses 4 through 28. I think Kent's right about that. Uh, and so what happens is Jesus pre- proceeds to answer the question. First question first. Uh, when will these things be? When will what things be? He just told about the destruction of the temple. When will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? The, the, the short answer is the temple was going to be destroyed in 70 AD when the Roman armies conquered the city of Jerusalem and leveled it, specifically leveled the temple grounds. Um, that's a, that's a, a, a fact of, of history. There's no question about that. I mean, there's all kind of historical 
information about the Romans taking Jerusalem after a siege and literally tearing the temple apart stone by stone. It's interesting. History says that the Roman soldiers who went into into the city were told to devastate the temple, but they were perhaps even had extra motivation because they knew that the, there were a lot of precious metals that were incorporated in the temple. And some historians suggest that they literally turned every stone over looking for some bit of precious metal or something that they could scavenge from the site. Uh, and and it helped to fulfill the prophecy of Jesus in exact detail, not one stone left standing upon top of another. All right. Uh, in the chat room tonight, uh, uh, in regards to verse 3, guest 8987 and MO in the chat room, believe that the proper translation of verse 3 is, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And some translations do translate the end of the world as end of the age. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but actually, uh, I think I, I, I think I probably prefer end of the world because the end of the age, the end of the Jewish age was 70 A.D. Right. Uh, but Jesus is going to describe some things at the end of this chapter that that <clears throat> would indicate that he was pointing toward final judgment rather than just the judgment on Jerusalem. Okay. So, uh, as you say, some translations go that way, but I, I think maybe end of the world is better in the sense that that hasn't happened yet. The end of that Jewish age did happen. Uh, and and so... Uh, when when Jesus was speaking, the law of Moses was still in effect. The Jewish the, the, that period, that dispensation of time, was still underway. It was going to it was going to die out. In the book of Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew writer talks about that which was. Let me see if I can find that verse real quick. Uh, Hebrews chapter eight verse thirteen uh, talks about the Lord establishing a new covenant, and Hebrews eight thirteen says a new covenant. He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Well, obviously, when the Hebrew writer wrote that was after the day of Pentecost. Christianity was already this. The the, the new law of Christ was in effect. But the the Jewish system was still operating. Uh, the, The unbelieving Jews who did not accept Jesus, they were still functioning under that Jewish system. They still had a temple. They still were making sacrifices. They still had a priesthood. But that was all going to come to an end when Jerusalem was destroyed and 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 notably all of the archaeological records, all the genealogical records, I should say, uh, of the Jews were destroyed so that if you wanted to go back and set up that system again now, you couldn't do it. You wouldn't be able to determine who was qualified to serve as priest and so forth. All right, so let's take a break. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion and look at some of these signs that Jesus was telling. Are they something we should be looking for today? Is Jesus giving us clues as to when we should be ready for his return in the end of the world? Let us know your thoughts, 877-381-4567. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. 
Hi, this is Jordan Sanders from College View Church of Christ, and here's some thoughts for you today. Have you ever wondered why there never seems to be enough time to get everything done? Well, we may not have the answer. According to an article in U.S. News, an average American in his lifetime will spend six months at a stop sign, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced items, two years unsuccessfully trying to return telephone calls, five years waiting in the line, and six years eating. Other recent studies suggest that we will spend as much as 20 years watching TV and even more time sleeping. Now, to put this in proper perspective, think of this. If you attend every service of church, Sunday Bible study, Sunday morning and evening worship, and Wednesday night Bible study, you will spend only about 1.5 years total. That's only slightly more time than you will spend looking for misplaced items and only about twice as much time as you will spend opening junk mail. But some Christians will not even do this. Over again, we return to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. God commands us to assemble. Why? The context of this verse clearly shows that it is for our benefit. Are you taking advantage of this great blessing? Christian, how are you using your time? If you don't regularly attend all of the services, you may be spending more time opening junk mail than worshiping God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Some people are sitting on the premises instead of standing on the promises. God gives and forgives. Men get and forget. Patience is the ability to count down before blasting off. Eternity is a long time to think about what you should have done. Man, wish I'd said that. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight as we look at Matthew chapter 24 and the passages that people are looking to today to look for signs and clues about when the end of the world would come and when uh, the day of judgment would be upon them. And uh, so we are uh, looking at that tonight. In the chat room tonight, uh, guest 8987 says, Where does the Bible mention the end of time? I think Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 would lead us in that direction. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking in haste for and hastening to the coming of the day of the Lord, uh, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. That would be the indication of end of time, one of the places in the Bible where we would look for an indication of the end of time. Um, In the chat room also, the question was made about how that word age or world is translated. Uh, The word, the the Greek word is ahion, and it is properly an age by extension perpetuity. By implication, the world, uh, specifically a messianic period, age course, eternal, um, uh, again, world, uh, while the world began without end and so forth. So the, the, the suggestion of, of, of the end of the world is in that same word that certainly can be translated age. I was looking at several translations here. It looks like they're just about evenly split on whether to translate that age or world. But I think he, I, I understand him to be talking about the end of, well, the end of the age, if you want to talk about the, the, the time while the world stands. But I think he's talking about not the end of the Jewish dispensation, but I think he's talking about the end of the 
world. All right, let's keep going into the chapter and look at uh, what we see here uh, in uh, some signs that Jesus foretold, and uh, what are these? What's he talking about here? All right, let's let's go into the text and and read about some of the things that Jesus said were going to transpire. Uh, in answer to their question, when are these things going to happen? He says in uh, beginning at verse 5, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So the first thing that he said was going to happen was that they're going to be false Christ who would arise. Now, interestingly, on several of these things, we've got some external verification that such actually did happen because uh, we have some secular writers, notably the man Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and he was involved uh, with the Jewish opposition against Roman occupation of Judea. He got captured, and then he went over to the Roman side. Mm-hmm. And so he was a Jew. He had initially been in, oppos- in opposition to the uh, Romans, but when captured, went over to their side, he was with them and witnessed the things that happened in their siege and destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. So Josephus is a known, notable historian. I think everybody's heard the name Josephus, probably. Notice what, and several quotes we've got here will come from Josephus. Josephus said there was an Egyptian false prophet that did the Jews more mischief than the former, for he was a great cheat and pretended to be a prophet also, and got together 30,000 men that were deluded by him. These he led round from the wilderness to the mount, which was called the Mount of Olives, and was ready to break into Jerusalem by force from that place. Um, so he, he, here's one of the, the men who rose up, trying to identify himself as something <clears throat> special. Mm-hmm. In another place, Joseph says that when it came, it came to pass while Thaddeus was procurator of Judea that a certain magician whose name was Thudas persuaded a great part of the people to take their efforts with him and follow him to the river Jordan for he told them he was a prophet and that he would by his own command divide the river and afford them an easy passage over it and many were deluded by his words. So, Jesus said there's going to be some false prophets arise, some who might even try to identify themselves as the Messiah, as the appointed one. Uh, and he said many would be deceived by them, and, and these historical footnotes suggest that did happen. Now, again, when did it happen? Well, these were things that happened in the run-up towards the Romans invading, besieging, and conquering Jerusalem. All right. So he said they would see here that many would come in his name saying that he's there or the Christ. So we see that uh, historical references to that occurring. Okay. And he says, uh, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. This is verse six. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Ooh. That expression, wars and rumors of war, gets, catches a lot of people's attention. It sure does. You know, the Korean, the North Koreans, they're getting pretty rowdy over there. Well, in the Middle East. Oh, oh, there are some wars going there. There's fighting going on all the time. Every time I turn the news on, I hear some rumors of war. And there's almost more, there's more news about war in, in, in these days than probably ever before. And one of the reasons why is because we have excellent news coverage. You know, we have, we have people on the ground all over the globe and they're sending in their news reports. And so the reports of, of war, uh, and the rumors or the, 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 
the suggestions that fighting could break out and all that sort of that's very prominent in our time and so a lot of people say oh yeah i can see that mm-hmm. uh but again that would not be unique to our time there was another roman historian named tacitus who wrote the history on which i am entering is that of a period rich in disasters terrible with battles torn by civil struggle struggles horrible even in peace Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. So Tacitus says there were a lot of wars going on. So again, just because that's happening in our time doesn't mean that what Jesus was describing is our time. Because in other times, there have been plenty of wars too, and there were plenty of wars in that time frame leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. So wars and rumors of wars, verse 6. And then another one that catches a lot of attention. Uh, he goes on to say, verse 7, nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That would go to the warring part. But notice the last part of verse 7. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Oh, man. Famines and pestilences. We, we would say diseases or epidemics. So famines and epidemics and earthquakes. Ooh. Well, we hear about that. I mean, you hear about these terrible droughts in certain places of the world, and, and people uh, struggle to find enough food to eat. Uh, certainly there have been some very horrific epidemics of disease. Ebola. That, Ebola and so forth. The flu is pretty bad this year, I think. And earthquakes. Oh, man. We, we hear about earthquakes all the time. Yeah. Now, again, I would argue that the reason why we hear about an increase in earthquakes in our time is because we've got better detecting devices. There was supposedly an earthquake not far from here a while back. There was a minor one, and nobody even felt it, but it registered on the seismometers, and and so an earthquake took place. Nobody in, in that day, nobody would have even known of such an earthquake. There would have been a pretty noticeable earthquake to register on, on uh, their scale. We have lots of earthquakes, but again, don't just because we have lots of earthquakes, probably because we have a lot better reporting of them. Don't imagine that that means that it, this has to be talking about our time, because there have been other times when there were lots of earthquakes as well. Tacitus says houses were overturned by repeated shocks of earthquake, and as the panic spread, a shortage of corn again, and the famine which resulted. Oh, there you go. So Tacitus, the Roman historian, saying, oh, wait, it was happening back then, too. Those things were happening then. Uh, Marcellus, uh, J. J. Marcellus Kick, uh, in Eschatology of Victory, writes, and as to earthquakes, many were mentioned by writers during a period just previous to 70 A.D., there were earthquakes in Crete, Smyrna, Miletus, Chios, Samos, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, Campania, Rome, and Judea. Mm. And so there's a, there's a tempor- there's a contemporary historian, or a contemporary note from history rather, in which notable earthquakes were mentioned in that time frame. So there, there's lots of earthquakes now, but but there were notable earthquakes in that time period leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. So when they get on late-night television and start to point out all the earthquakes and the wars, they're pulling the wool over your eyes, or they don't understand uh, the context here. You, you, was Jack Van Impe, is he still on television? Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, as far as I know he is. You know, that uh, he, he, made, he made lots of money on uh, 
pointing stuff like that out. Okay, so just to sort of summarize, especially the two things I think particularly get people's attention here, wars and rumors of wars and and famines, disease, and earthquakes. And we see that happening now, and people say, that must be what Jesus was talking about. Not necessarily so. If we can show from history that those were also prevalent things leading up to 70 AD, then clearly he could be talking about that time too. Okay, right. So, right. so we we just got to keep that in in uh, in our uh, perspective here. Keep reading, verse nine. Then shall they deliver you. Uh, Jesus said, verse eight. These are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and shall be, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Uh, uh, so there was going to be a persecution against the followers of Jesus. Well, again, people see that to some extent happening in our time, and I think it does. But we we have plenty of history. We don't have to even reference the history that points out the the intense persecution of Christians that was taking place in the first century, right? Mm -hmm. So clearly that happened. Christians were persecuted. And then he says in verse 10, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And so the strife and the division, the false teachers, the apostasy of falling away, Christians abandoning their faith, um, those things seem to have happened as well. Uh, Paul predicted that that was going to happen in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things after them, to draw away disciples after them. Uh, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So uh, certainly there was this falling away. Uh, Jesus predicted it. Paul predicted it. Uh, history bears out that it did happen, that, that and that just many who identified as Christians abandoned their faith when a period of harsh persecutions came upon them. All right. Uh, it brings to mind Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, which was uh, giving similar instruction to Christians in that, that time. Do not, uh, in verse uh, uh, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer, verse 10 of Rome, Revelation 2. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Yeah. There were there was some intense, intense persecution that was coming their way, and Jesus says, warns some of it here and throughout uh, the New Testament. No, no doubt to be faithful. that they were no doubt that they were persecuted, and no doubt that there was a, a falling away on the part of many. But verse 14, he goes on to say, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Before the end came, the gospel was going to be preached in all the world. Well, Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 tells us that did happen. He says in Colossians 1 23, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So in Colossians 1, verse 23, Paul says that that part had been fulfilled prior to uh, the judgment against Jerusalem that Jesus is predicting. So we see all the pieces sort of fitting together here on the signs that Jesus described. Uh, Kent in his email said the signs that Jesus foretold did actually take place regarding the destruction of Jerusalem. 
These are recorded historical events and as set forth in the writings of Josephus. So, again, history bears out that these things did happen just like Jesus said they would. All right, we need to get, take a break and get this week's bullet point. My chat room has gone flaky on me here. I've uh, lost, I, I think, all of the the discussion from tonight except for the last one comment here if you've got got some comments that we overlooked uh, send oh, yeah. them to the chat it, it looks you're, like it you've got flaky on you too huh yeah all right so uh, we'll look uh, for uh, maybe you to resend your comments in the chat room and uh, and to get in uh, on the phone maybe at 877-381-4567 don't go anywhere we'll get uh, this week's bullet point and get back on the other side uh, stay where you are got a question about something you've heard on the virtual bible study send your questions to questions at collegeview.com We'll be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. You don't have to have a degree in child psychology and you don't have to attend a college class in early childhood development to know that children have an incredible capacity to learn new things. If you've never done so, you ought to sit down at a computer with a five-year-old and listen as they explain things to you that you didn't even know. After that, you can try to beat him or her at an electronic game. Good luck with that. Kids learn quickly, as everyone knows. With this truth in mind, we wonder why some parents are so unconcerned about teaching their children important moral values. Why do they wait to instruct them about issues that will directly affect their spiritual well-being? Parents don't wait to teach your kids, even the very young ones, about things like modesty in dress and conduct. Mothers, why will you let your little girls wear scanty clothing, the likes of which would be shocking in an older girl? If you don't teach them now, when will they learn? If swimming suits and mixed swimming are wrong for those who are older, why isn't it wrong for kids? And what about dancing? Seems some parents can't bring themselves to condemn modern dancing. They think it's cute and innocent when kids jump and gyrate to the music. How will they know when cute suddenly becomes vulgar? Teach them now that dancing is wrong. Or honesty. Lying is wrong at any age. Teach them now or be sorry later. And certainly putting God first. If you let them compromise spiritual obligations for ball games, band concerts, recreational activities, and so forth, it will convince them that it's okay to do so for many other reasons later on. This list could be expanded, but the point is obvious. Parents, if you don't make a dedicated effort to teach your kids now, you will very likely live to regret it later. Don't wait to do your important job. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight, and we want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you've never been there, check it out. If you've ever sent us an email, send us one, questions at collegeview.com. Just let us know you're out there listening. Um, and uh, maybe send us a question or a suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. 877-381-4567 is a telephone number to call tonight if you'd like to join us on the air. All right, what we're doing, we're studying Matthew 24, and we're and what we're discovering is that the signs that Jesus, something's going to happen, and it's going to result in the temple being torn down. The, maybe Jesus' disciples thought might also bring about the end of the world. Jesus is saying before the temple is destroyed, you're going to see these things happening. And interestingly, everything that he said was going to happen certainly did happen in the run-up to A.D. 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. Now, he goes on. We're down through verse 15, beginning at 15 of Matthew 24. He says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. The abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. 
Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field turn back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child in those days, and that give suck in those days. Pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be again. Um, so he speaks of the abomination of desolation of the temple, and that the disciples should take notice of that and flee. All right, what's that, what's that all about, the abomination of desolation? Well, of course, the temple was a holy place, and, and, and only qualified priests were able to mm-hmm. enter into sections of the temple and so forth. Okay. Um, Josephus quotes a prominent Jew and said, Certainly I had, it had been good for me to die before I had seen the house of God full of so many abominations, or these sacred places that ought not to be trodden upon at random, filled with the feet of these blood-shedding villains. And so uh, they desecrated the temple. That's, that's the abomination of desolation. Uh, Josephus goes on to say, Now Vespasian had fortified all the places around him. Now, uh, so the temple was desecrated, but... The disciples were were told, when you see these things happening, flee, flee to the mountains. Okay, so there's bad stuff going on in the temple. And the disciples are warned to flee in this prophecy of Jesus. Well, notice this. They, they saw that. The early disciples saw this coming together just as Jesus had predicted. And they did flee. Josephus says, now Vespasian had fortified all the places around about Jerusalem and erected citadels at Jericho and Adia and placed garrisons in them both. And now the war having gone through all the mountainous country and all the plain country also, those that were at Jerusalem were deprived of the liberty of going out of the city. Now as Vespasian was returned to Caesarea and was getting ready with all his army to march directly to Jerusalem, he was informed that Nero was dead. Wherefore Vespasian put off at first his expedition against Jerusalem and stood waiting whether the empire would be transferred after his after the death of Nero the Roman emperor, uh, being then in a fluctuating condition and did not go on with the expedition against the Jews. So what Josephus is saying was the, the Romans were ready to attack Jerusalem, but there and all the pieces were coming together, but. Vespasian got news that Nero had died in Rome, and so the empire was in a bit of an uproar, and so he held back and didn't attack immediately. It, it, we're told that the disciples took this opportunity and got out of Jerusalem, uh, uh, and they did as they were instructed here by Jesus. Philip Schaff, in his history of the Christian church, writes, But the people of the church in Jerusalem had been commanded by revelation to leave the city, to dwell in a certain town of Perea called Pella, and they did. Actually, the king Agrippa accommodated them to flee to that place under his dom- uh, dominion, and, and they got out of Jerusalem just like Jesus said they should when they saw what was taking place. So Jesus warned them, and they heeded his warning. Exactly right. Okay. And there was a great tribulation. We read about this terrible tribulation, uh, just horrible things happening. Uh, Josephus says, uh, Roman soldiers went in numbers into the lanes of the city with their swords drawn. They slew those whom they overtook without mercy and set fire to the houses whither the Jews were fled and burnt every soul in them and laid waste a great many of the rest 
And when they were come to the houses to plunder them, they found in them families of dead men and the upper rooms full of dead corpses. They ran everyone through whom they met and obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies and made the whole city run down with blood. Pretty Terrible. graphic description of the great tribu- times of tribulation uh, that Jesus had foretold. Now, one more thing. We're going to have to hurry here to get through all this. But one more thing. That starting about here, the language of, of Jesus' prophecy becomes more figurative, I think, in nature. And a, a little harder to maybe pinpoint exactly. But notice in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from the heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, those uh, are apocalyptic terms and language that we actually find in other places in the scripture the sun being dark the moon turned to blood uh, uh, stars falling out of the sky that's that's figurative language suggesting that powerful people are being deposed and brought down we still use that stars today for prominent people yeah and so I, I don't have time there's a whole list of other passages where similar language is is used and it's not and it's it's figurative language talking about the toppling of established order now this is this is this is judgment language uh, that you read it in the old testament prophets as well now, this is the kind of language that's used to describe god about to turn things upside down All right. as he sends judgment upon people but it's 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 very figurative in that section of matthew Chapter 24. Um, now, finally, uh, by the way, I had a list here. I, I can find that same kind of language in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Nahum, and Amos. All, and all of them were not talking about this time. They were talking about the, the judgment that God sent against Babylon. Okay. So, again, that's common language. It's figurative, but it's common language talking about a judgment being sent against the established order and the established rulers. All right. Uh, look forward to your comments. Uh, send them in the chat room now. I don't know if the chat room is working any better, but uh, you send them in there. And if you're not, uh, put those comments in an email or give us a call at 877-381-4567. All right. So, finally, then, uh, I think the clinching verse is uh, verse 34 Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I mean, if you draw if you draw lines or circle things or make notes in your text, circle that verse. That, that is so clear. You, you would have to have tremendous help to misunderstand that verse. We may not be able to identify, especially in that section there at the end where Jesus gets pretty figurative in his language. We may not be able to put a finger on exactly what he was talking about in those last verses. The earlier verses we confirm with history. But everything that Jesus has spoken about up through verse 34, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Uh, I asked the question, what does the word generation mean in verse 34? Uh, and, And the word generation has a specific meaning. I won't read all of this, but Joseph Henry Thayer says, uh, the time ordinarily occupied by each successive generation, the space of from 30 to 33 years, 
uh, Vine, in his expository dictionary of biblical words, says, a period ordinarily occupied by each successive generation, say, of 30 or 40 years. So that's what the word means. It means it, it means a generation of time. And I think a lot of times people latch on to the number 40. So who was Jesus speaking to? Jesus was speaking to his generation. Jesus was speaking in about 30 A.D. 40 years later would be 70 A.D. And within that time period, all of these things would come to pass. And they did. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was torn down. Mo says a generation of uh, approximately 40 years. A generation is approximately 40 years. That fits with the AD 70 destruction. And Kent in his email says that this uh, signs taking place as prophesied by Christ took place within the generation that was alive at the time. The words of Christ were spoken, 24 verse 34. The term generation, jenna, uh, according to Thayer's Greek English lexicon on page 112, defines the term as used in Matthew 24 verses, verse uh, 34 as being the whole multitude of men living at the time. Christ referred to the particular generation under consideration as this generation, the generation that was living at the time. He spoke those words, not a future generation. The generation that was alive when Christ spoke these words uh, would not pass away until all those signs would be fulfilled. I think that's right. And, and you just got to you got to put a star beside or underline or circle verse 34, whatever, whatever he's been talking about. If you didn't even read the previous part, but we just did, obviously. But if you did, whatever was under consideration was going to happen, was going to take place then, not now in that generation, not in our generation. And so all the people who talk about wars and rumors of wars, famines, disease, earthquakes, uh, persecution, uh, falling away, all of those kind of things. And they say, that's happening in our day and time. That must be what Jesus was talking about. No, it absolutely is not what Jesus was talking about. Nothing that's happening in our day talking about. He was talking about things that were going to happen in that day while that generation was alive. And so clearly he was talking about the run-up to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Let's get a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Go to the top of the hour and uh, take your phone call uh, toll-free, 877-381-4567. Stay right where you are. We're back right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. While 70% of Americans considered smoking marijuana to be morally wrong in 1987, only 35% of respondents currently believe it's wrong. That's a change of 35 percentage points. That information is via the Huffington Post. The Word of God says in Jeremiah 6, verse 15, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed, neither could they blush. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight. The chat room is going wild. <laughs> well, not the wild we're used to, though, Kyle. It's, yeah, it's going reverse. Yeah, it's it? going reverse. It's back it up. Disappearing right. messages in the chat room. We don't know why. Something's happening there in the chat room. We'll have to check up on that because we're not deleting your messages, but something's causing them to be deleted. So if you if you got a comment, we'll try to read it real fast before it disappears uh, in the chat room. Okay. 
All right, so finally. Not one, not one comment we left upon another here. They're getting all <laughs> destroyed, yeah. All right, so starting at verse 36. So verse 34, everything that he'd said up to that time, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass till these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Uh, so he'd been saying, uh, here's when here's when the temple's going to be destroyed, and here's signs that you'll be able to use to detect that it's happening. In fact, here's signs that you'll be able to detect so clearly that you can flee the city before the armies invade. Here are signs. You will know the time. You will be aware. I'm telling you, and I'm telling you when it's going to happen. It's going to happen within this generation. Okay, yeah. But now he starts talking about a time that nobody knows. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Uh, And he says, as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two uh, in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now wait a minute. In an hour that you think not... The Son of Man will come in this part of the judgment that he's describing now, in this judgment of God that he's describing now. You you won't see signs. There won't be a sign. Uh, you won't even think it's coming. And it's going to happen suddenly. Uh, uh, it's going to be like a thief who comes in the night. A thief who comes in the night doesn't give signs, doesn't give warnings. He'd been giving warnings about the destruction of Jerusalem, but now he's talking about a time when nobody knows. There will be no signs. There will be no advanced warning or indication. You're just going to have to be ready all the time for this. I think he's clearly talking about his final coming in the judgment of the world. It is. There's a difference there because he's uh, he's specific down to even events uh, prior to this, talking about when they saw these signs, they needed to flee and not hesitate. Yeah. Uh, and so that there's a, that's a that's a definite. It's not a uh, vague time here. That there's they're going to see things. Don't even go down in your house to get stuff out of it. Just get out. Exactly. And run. And and even down to the Sabbath day, you're going to be able to don't don't if it's on the Sabbath. You hope that it's not on the Sabbath day because uh, there be obstacles there. Um, and uh, if you you know if you're uh, pregnant or you've got or you're or you're nursing a baby, it's going to be bad. So. Um, those were specific times that he yeah. was indicating. He, he said, you will have these signs, and I'm telling you, it's going to happen in this generation. So I'm giving you signs, and I'm telling you when. But now, starting at verse 36, he's describing a time, uh, an event for which there will be no sign, and uh, nobody knows when it will happen. 8987 in the chat room says, generation, but he did not tell them the exact day and hour. Well, I mean, I think that's a typical that's a typical argument made there at verse thirty six. But and I, I wouldn't even, in other words, he's the, the I think what eighty ninety six is suggesting is the specific day and hour. Jesus didn't say, but he Might said be it next be, week. But I'm not going to tell you what day or yeah. Time. But and and I, I wouldn't quibble about that. To me, the 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 clear part of the argument is 
whatever he's talking about now, I'm, I'm not going to base my, I'm not going to hinge my main argument on no one knows the day and hour. Although I do think it's distinctly different than the previous section where he said definite, a definite time period. But notice that Jesus said there's not going to be any sign. There's not going to be any sign. If what I'm talking about now, there's no sign. It's like a thief in the night. Be ready for such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. So in the previous section, it was clear enough to see the fulfillment of the signs that the disciples could flee from Jerusalem and not be taken by the invading armies. Here Jesus said, what I'm talking about now is such that it's going to happen when you don't even think it's going to happen. It could be sooner than you think. It could be later than you think. But you won't know, and there won't be any signs. I think Jesus is definitely talking about something different. Now, I know people who believe that the whole chapter is devoted to the destruction of Jerusalem, and 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 I, and, and they can make a case for that. I, I don't personally don't see it. Actually, I don't think that the 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 context really breaks at at the end of the chapter, and it, as you go on into chapter twenty five. I think Jesus continues to describe final, eternal judgment. Um, we all know, like in verse 32 of chapter 25, Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Uh, then shall the king say to them on his right hand, you know how that goes. But notice, at the end of chapter 25, um, he says, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Right. Chapter 25 is talking about eternal, final judgment. So some In verse place, 32 there, he, all nations will be gathered before him. So the judgment is for all nations there in verse 32. The destruction of Jerusalem was for the, destru- for the nation of Israel. Yeah. So some place, I think everybody has to agree, at some place there... There's a there's a transition between talking about the judgment that God was going to send on Jerusalem and final judgment of the world. So where does it happen? I think it happens at 2436. I don't know where you think it happens, but it clearly happens because at the end of chapter 25, which is all the same context, he says that some are going to go away to everlasting punishment and the righteous to life eternal. So he's definitely talking about final judgment there. So there's there's a transition at some point between destruction of Jerusalem and final judgment. Where does it happen? I think it happens at twenty four thirty six. Again, I know good I know I know good students who who don't think it is there at thirty six, but it just seems that's the most logical place to put it in, in my way of thinking. All right, let us know your thoughts. Uh, send us give us a call quickly. We've got time uh, quickly to take your call. Um, what about well, this? Uh, 80, 87 says he thinks chapter twenty five is dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. I don't know how. I don't know how that could be when verse 32 talks about all nations being gathered for judgment, the Lord dividing, and and the outcome of it being eternal life, life eternal or everlasting punishment. Verse 46, I do not agree that chapter 25 is talking about destruction in Jerusalem. What about this idea that uh, two men will be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. That sort of sounds like the rapture, you know. This car is going to be unmanned. One will be at the wheel, and the other in the passenger seat. One will be taken, the other left. You know. That's, uh, well, that's a little harder, but I don't think I don't think it's suggesting the idea of rapture. Uh, it's just talking about judgment, and that okay. some will be uh, rewarded, and others will be be punished. All right, that's as quickly you get a. Uh, 
a phone call here. Uh, looks like uh, we might have uh, Tony on the line. Tony, uh, is that you? Hello, you're on the verge. Uh, not Tony. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm just reading the caller ID there. We didn't have time to screen your call tonight. Uh, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Who are we talking to? Yeah, that's okay. Um, let me get my, uh, my. I'm sorry. My name is John. Hi, John. Thanks for calling tonight. Uh, there's a there's a horrible delay. You'll need to start, turn off your the audio on your computer. Yeah, I was getting to that uh, quick as I could. That's fine. But, yeah, it'll be it'll, it'll distract you there where you won't be able to think straight there. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right, John. Okay. Thanks for well, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate uh, what y'all are talking about. Here's the real interest of mine. Um, I, I well, John, before we get into it, where are you calling from tonight? Uh, I'm in Indianapolis. Oh, thanks for calling. Yeah, yeah. Um, appreciate you taking my call. Okay. Um, well, the, my my question here is, um, I heard you were saying there was a transition verse Matthew 24. Uh, verse 36, transitioning to um, the third question asked, if, if I'm understanding that right? Yeah, probably, yeah. I don't know that they understood the question they were asking, but uh, and, and I'm, I'm not too wedded to trying to break down the question into segments, but I just think Jesus is talking about, a, uh, transitions to talking about a, a separate time toward uh, he was talking about clearly talking about destruction of Jerusalem no doubt about that at least through verse 34 where he says that that all those things were going to happen in that generation i think you agree with us about that the question is does he transition to talking about the end of the world and final judgment um i think he does um i would suggest to take a look at uh, the parallel accounts mark luke and um of course the fourth parallel or the, the fourth rendition of it is Revelation. The entire book of Revelation is the all of that discourse, just obviously expanded in great detail. But in um, in Mark and Luke's account, um, they don't have three questions, or well, supposed three questions. I see this as, as one question. Jesus was just talking about Jerusalem being destroyed, and they they just asked the same question that was asked in Daniel 12. Well, when will the end of this thing be? Yeah. So now I think Mark Mark 13 is talking also. I think Mark has in view both destruction of Jerusalem into the world. Luke 17 uh, is just talking about, uh, I think Luke 17 probably talking about the end of time. Luke 21 is talking about destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, But uh, there's different takes on that. I'm not exactly sure where you're coming from on it, but... uh, I guess I guess the emphasis that we're putting on our program tonight is that uh, this is the signs of Matthew 24 are not describing the end of the world as, as so many people today try to make it fit and it it doesn't fit there. I think oh yeah, agree. and I would absolutely agree on that. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, thanks um, for calling us. Although, we're just out of time on our program tonight, John. Oh, Thank you much. So we thank thanks, you very much. thanks for calling. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Okay. Appreciate uh, your call. All right. Right. All right. Well, it, we are out of time uh, t- tonight. Uh, had a, had a good discussion, and uh, appreciate all those who chimed in. Yeah, I think I, the, again, it, those signs are not leading up to the end of the world in Matthew twenty-four for sure. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Kyle, uh, thank you for getting us on the air tonight for being here. It's uh, thank you for, thank you for having me. It's always good to be here. It's a good <laughs> study. It's uh, really interesting. To, 
yeah, to delve into that. And just a lot of people don't understand that, so it's good to know. All right, lots of uh, lots of error going around. Uh, Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.